straight ahead on this November 2020 edition of On SI. Thanks to the generosity of others, Meals on Wheels of Staten Island can continue to feed those in need all across the borough during the most challenging year ever. The organization shares how it met the demand of vulnerable seniors on Thanksgiving and looks ahead to the new year with cautious optimism. Congresswoman-elect Nicole Maliotakis is prepared to represent New York's 11th Congressional District in Washington, the first woman to do so in nearly a quarter century, how she plans to lead during this hyper-partisan era. And holy cow, a look back at the boom and bust of the baby bombers through the eyes of one of their biggest fans. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. We begin this month with how Meals on Wheels of Staten Island is overcoming the challenges of serving older adults throughout the COVID-19 outbreak. The organization leads the effort to make sure the elderly people in our communities receive nutritious meals and the human connection they need to help them live independently. Our Joe Malvasio has more. To celebrate the holiday this year, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade team partnered with Meals on Wheels to deliver Thanksgiving dinners and big smiles to seniors across the island in a -a one-of-a-kind spectacular parade-themed delivery truck. President and CEO of Meals on Wheels of Staten Island, Joseph Tornello, says the support was definitely needed this year. Last time we calculated average age 84, and the reason why they're getting meals from us is there's some level of frailty or, or disability that's made them unable to cook or shop for themselves. We've seen that dramatic growth of our census compounded this year by COVID. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, senior citizens and those with compromised health are at greater risk of developing serious complications if they contract COVID-19. So to combat the spread of the virus, Meals on Wheels of Staten Island had to completely change its operations. We had a limit, number one, contact with meal recipients, uh, maybe just once a week as opposed to daily. Uh, we had to limit the, the uh, amount of time that our kitchen staff would have to spend time in the kitchen working in close proximity, the cooks and then the kitchen aides putting the meals together, label, uh, plating, labeling by route, and then of course our drivers going out. The changes didn't just impact meal recipients and staff members. Volunteerism, which the organization heavily relies on, has also been halted since the spring. What we're most proud of is where we were vulnerable because so many of our volunteers are retired older adults. The other area of vulnerability is very, very proud of the partnership we've had with all 21 agencies on Staten Island serving populations of special needs, developmental disability. Typically, those programs would have a staff member with some of their consumers on board and deliver meals for us. All of those programs had to shut down way back in April. Thanks to a robust supply of personal protective equipment for staff and remaining volunteers, regular symptom checks, and generous donations, the organization has been able to serve seniors who are homebound in the borough. Tornello says uncertainties still lie ahead. He urges those who can do so to consider donating or volunteering so Staten Island Meals on Wheels can make a difference each year. Our commitment since... Meals on Wheels opened in 1972. We're approaching our 50th anniversary in a couple of years. Our commitment of that original board of, member, board of directors to the present is to never have a waiting list and to serve all people in need. That still is the case at this point in time. 
Nicole Maliotakis beat incumbent Representative Max Rose in the congressional race for New York's 11th District, which covers Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn. I was able to catch up with her during her time in Washington at New Member Orientation to discuss her plans for the future. Congratulations, Congresswoman-elect Maliotakis. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. And I appreciate uh, you reaching out and your interest. I want to know, how does it feel winning the race for New York's 11th congressional district after such hard-fought campaigns? Well, I, you know, I'm honored. I'm, I'm really honored that the residents of Staten Island, Southern Brooklyn, have chosen me to represent them in Washington. And when you think about the history of this nation and the representatives that have come and gone through the Capitol, it's just amazing to be a part of that, especially representing community that I grew up in, that I've spent my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Staten Island and Great Kills and uh, went to public school, graduated from New Dorp High School, went to Wagner College, for my M got, received my MBA there, worked on Staten Island. My very first job was Modell's Sporting Goods in Highland Boulevard, New Dorp. I worked the Gap at the Staten Island Mall. So I, my, my roots in Staten Island are, are deep. And to grow up and then represent your community in the United States Congress is really exciting. And I'm honored by it. And I'm really looking forward to it. You know, you are the first woman to hold this position in nearly a quarter of a century. I also believe you're currently the only Republican woman and only Hispanic Republican elected official in New York City. What are your thoughts on seeing more women and diversity in these government positions? I think it's really important. I mean, we were talking about this, actually, because um, I'm in Washington for the orientation. I'm getting to meet a lot of the other members. And we have the largest incoming freshman class of Republican women, which is absolutely amazing. You know, on Staten Island, you only had Susan Molinari. When I was growing up, I remember Susan Molinari came to speak uh, to one of my classes, uh, and it was cool as a, as a young girl to see Susan Molinari uh, and seeing that she was in government. It certainly you know, piqued my interest and perhaps is uh, part of the reason why I decided to get into government. But there haven't been Republican women's, women since her from our community. And so, you know, I'm proud to have been, uh, you know, one that has gone to the assembly and now will be going to Congress and following in our footsteps, but coming in with a bunch of amazing women in this class and such diverse backgrounds. You know, we have uh, a woman, Victoria Spars, who's coming from the Ukraine. She was born under Soviet Union rule. You have uh, another woman, Maria Salazar from Miami, who is also a daughter of a Cuban refugee like I am. You have uh, two Korean Americans uh, from California. They were actually born in South Korea. And so their families went from North Korea to South Korea, then immigrated to the United States. So it, it's really cool to see the diversity that's coming into this class. We have two African-American men as well. We have another uh, Cuban uh, at six years old came to this uh, country, fled the Castro regime. So what's nice about this class is that not only do we have so many different unique perspectives and backgrounds, and in many ways we share, we share our love of this country and the freedoms and liberties because of that background. So we're, we're super excited about the fact that this new Republican class represents America and it represents America more than it did because we always had a diversity in the Republican Party. It just wasn't reflected in the halls of Congress. On that note, I have to acknowledge the fact that we are living in very partisan times and there feels to be this great division. How do you see yourself as the island's top lawmaker healing ties, not only at the local level, but at the federal level as well? 
I think it is difficult at this time because, as you mentioned, there are two different directions to take this country. We can either preserve the American dream, its limitless opportunity for future generations, preserve our freedoms, our liberties, which is what I want to do. And then you have individuals, unfortunately, within the ranks of Congress who want to fundamentally change our country, move us more towards socialism. So I think that's really um, the cause of the divide. But we still need to find ways to work together where we can find common ground. I think that's uh, something that is, yes, more challenging and more difficult. But at the same time, when you look at, let's say, New York City, you know, uh, I'll be the only Republican, but I hope the Democrats do embrace me and that we can continue to fight for New York City. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's really like New York versus the 49 other states, right, when it comes to advocating for resources and things that we need when it comes to transportation and education and infrastructure. Um, and, you know, New York City Housing Authority, we want to get housing dollars here, you know, so this, it's we have to try to find ways to where we can agree to work together. I'm hoping that once everyone is, the dust settles and everyone is sworn in, that yes, we need to hold the Democrats accountable when they're not doing the right thing. And when the rest of the delegation is doing something that hurts my community in Staten Island, Southern Brooklyn, I'm going to fight back and I'm going to stand up against them. And I'm going to hold them accountable. But at the same time, where we can find that common ground on those big issues like transportation and, and infrastructure investment uh, to improve our subway signals, for example, or, you know, in, in getting COVID relief funds to small businesses in our city, you know, or whatever it may be. And you touched on it, but I wanted to ask you, where do you hope to make a difference as the island looks to bounce back from COVID-19? Well, I, I think there's a couple of local issues that need to be addressed. And then there's some national ones, larger scale ones. So for example, we wanna obviously provide as much support for our hospitals, make sure they have the equipment, they have the resources they need to get us through this pandemic. Secondly, small businesses are really struggling and really hurting right now. And we need to make sure that we get them the funds that they need. Those who were forced by government to close, mandated closures, they need to get relief because it's not their fault that they're struggling. It is a government mandate that was placed on them. And so that's where the PPP comes in. That's where this COVID relief package comes in. Because so we got to work together to try to address that. And, then, and obviously there's other things too. We want to get that vaccine when, it, when we finally just get, does get the FDA approval to get it administered uh, in the state to, to our frontline workers and our most vulnerable uh, working with nursing homes and, and other groups for the, to address their PPE needs, their personal protective equipment needs, uh, which is something that I had done during the last wave is, is delivering supplies, getting them what they needed, helping people apply for unemployment, and just, just being there for the community and helping address the needs that they have, the immediate needs that they have to get us through this crisis. But we have to also learn from this, in addition to the therapeutics and the cures and the vaccines, we got to look at bringing our supply chain home. That is critical. You know, bringing the supply chain home. We cannot rely on China for, you know, uh, our, our masks and for our uh, gloves and for medical gowns. You know, that stuff needs to be brought here and made here. Medications, that's another thing. We need to bring the supply chain for that as well. So I'm hoping that uh, we can all work together to address some of these issues to be a little more independent. Uh, so a lot of it after that is going to be recovery. You know, how do we recover our economy? How do we get these American jobs lost back? How do we bring the supply chain home? Those are going to be, the, I think, the more long-term issues that we're going to be looking at. When you look back at your upbringing, which you discussed earlier, and the career that you've had in public service, 
What do you think about those experiences? How have they prepared you to lead in this role? When I came to the assembly, I came in with one mission to restore some of the bus service that was lost by my predecessor. That was the real reason why I ran, because we were, tolls and fares increased, our service got cut, and I was extremely upset as a commuter, someone who was going to Manhattan every day. Uh, we did fight back, we did get those buses restored, we got a permanent discount, working as a delegation, 550 on the Verrazano Bridge. Now we have those same challenges, they're threatening to take away our discount, we need to fight for that. I sued the Port Authority to bring transparency, and that led to commuter plans as well. Remember, when I was, it was in my first term, Hurricane Sandy struck the district, and that was really, I thought, the time that I and all the other elected officials were tested, tested for our leadership. And, you know, look, I'm proud of the work we did after the storm struck. I mean, I was going up and down the streets, delivering food, delivering supplies, helping people clean out their homes, getting volunteers and organizing large volunteer groups to come in and help people with debris. And, you know, it, it, cleaning up the streets and, and finding treasures that belong to certain people, like photographs and just different things that were important to a particular family. And we put together that entire program where we returned photographs to those families or wedding photographs and, and birthday photographs and, you know, photographs of loved ones that are no longer with us. And, you know, those were special for people. And to be able to organize that and put it together so people can get their mementos back was very important. But also just fighting with the insurance companies and, and challenging the mayor when he wanted to do, that was Mayor Bloomberg, when he wanted to do the marathon, you know, still uh, when he had no concept of what was really going on in in our community organizing then those runners to do cleanups instead with us and help the community which was an amazing thing so i think you know that always will stand out to me as the most significant thing that i did for this district i mean you could restore buses you could fight the tolls and you could you know do a whole bunch of things that we do over the years but it's when you're there when it matters the most you know those times when people are truly struggling and they need assistance and being there and helping people and making their life a little bit easier after such a tragedy was incredibly important. Do you have anything else you want to share about your thoughts for the future? Just like our community was suffering after Hurricane Sandy and we came together and we recovered and we rebuilt and you know we're in a similar situation right now you know now this is another tragedy and this pandemic has been very difficult many loved ones were lost businesses are being devastated by this people lost their jobs kids are not being educated as they should and you know there's a lot happening right now in the community and we need to just work find ways to work together and get out of this crisis and i know we will I, I know we will be stronger once we have this vaccination we get it to the front line we get it to the most vulnerable and then to those citizens who want it i think we're going to be in much better shape and then we will be able to lead the road of recovery but we need to be able to work together and i'm absolutely willing to work with anyone and everyone who shares the same goals as i do and and we need to just all find ways not only here in new york but across the country and even around the globe to to work together to tackle this pandemic thank you for speaking with me and sharing your thoughts thank you great talking to you Early this month, the New York Yankees officially axed their Staten Island affiliate team. Island-based attorney Christopher Caputo had been a Staten Island Yankees season ticket holder since the team's inception in 1999. Caputo looks back fondly on the 20 seasons the team spent on the island and paints a vivid picture of the minor league baseball experience 
at Richmond County Bank Ballpark in St. George. You know, the point of minor league baseball, and, and even owners across the country will tell you this, is fan fun. It's fan family interaction. Not necessarily the win or loss statistic. Our seats were in Section 9. Section 9 became a thing at the games. That would be my greatest memories of going to the games. We did things there that are just silly and made us laugh, but everyone was involved. There was a point where uh, the in-house entertainment at the ballpark would play a, uh, a David Hasselhoff song. We would act it out. We had the whole section getting up and dancing with it. We had parties of preseason, postseason. The, the memories and the relationships are really intertwined. And that would be my, I couldn't tell you what the win-loss records were each year. I couldn't tell you the championship years, but I could tell you who sat next to us. Father and son team, Stan and Josh Getzler, brought the single-A short-season team to the borough and oversaw the building of the Harborside Stadium, which opened in 2001. Caputo remembers witnessing the economic and social impact that had on Islanders and hopes the island doesn't lose those opportunities. They were high school students who had summer jobs. They were college students who had internships. They were unemployed people who were able to get back into the workforce. There were retired people who were able to stay active as ushers, as, as merchandise sellers, as gate uh, attendants. It didn't matter. You always saw someone that you knew. And, you know, there's not enough credit given for that. So over the 20 years, I would venture a guess to say that the list of alumni is a long, long list. So despite whatever mistakes or foibles that they might have had over the years, the fact that it didn't reach ultimate success uh, by continuing on, they were successful in an economic part. And I want that to continue with the ballpark. According to the city's Economic Development Corporation, there are plans to reinvest in Richmond County Bank Ballpark. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, I spoke with one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people of 2020, Myers Corners resident Amy O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan is a nurse at Wyckoff Heights Medical Center in Brooklyn. O'Sullivan treated the first COVID-19 patient at the hospital in March 2020, who sadly is recognized as the city's first COVID-19 death. O'Sullivan became infected herself, but once she recovered, returned to work. Despite the uncertainties surrounding the virus and having experienced the illness herself, O'Sullivan felt compelled to take on the risks and report to the front lines. Everyone helped. Everyone was making the beds and cleaning stretchers. It was something that I've never seen before. It was just like a family. Everybody just worked together. It was it was so chaotic and so overwhelming. And but I just I needed to be there. I just it was just in me to go back. I can't explain it. I just I couldn't sit home. That'll do it for this edition of On SI. A thank you to Joseph Tornello, Nicole Maliotakis, and Christopher Caputo. Please check out our website at onsi.nyc and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one and would like to share it, email it to us at stories at onsi.nyc. On behalf of the entire team, I'm Patty Murphy. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well.